As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working Al Willie Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, ex-girlfriend, <laughs> how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. Their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfuel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. All right, guys. Autumn is in the air. The pumpkins are in the patch. And our friends at Manscaped are grooming, if you know what I'm saying. Make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the leaders in male grooming and their brand new fourth generation performance package. Boys, get ready for a cuffing season like no other. Now, you got to be ready to take the leap and Go into fall with our great friends at Manscaped. You can join the 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping by just simply using the promo code JED. That's J-E-D, and it gets you 20% off with with free shipping. Now, the Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. 
Everybody needs a weed whacker. You get to chop your worst weeds up <laughs> in the top of your nose and your ear. Now, I've got the weed whacker and it works. So that whole chopping things up and putting it in your ear and your nose sounds scary. Don't let it worry you whatsoever. The nose and ear trimmer uses 9,000 RPMs of motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system to provide proprietary skin-safe technology. It's very safe. You're not going to hurt yourself. It's turning a lot of RPMs. It's chopping. You'll never know what's going on, and you'll come out fresh. This technology helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate areas. So seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations. These things are really nice and cool. The crop preserver. I think you understand what I'm saying when I say the crop. It's the area in your junkyard, if you know what I mean. They got deodorant for that. Now, everyone knows pumpkin spice, lattes, and, and junk deodorant go hand in hand. So you're going to love that scent. And your partner is too. Then after trimming the pumpkin patch and whacking the leaves, give your boys a boost and use Crop Reviver. So you can not only preserve it, you can revive it. It doesn't get any better than that. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code JED, that's J-E-D, at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off and free shipping by using promo code JED at manscaped.com. Make your boys a priority this fall. Get those pants pumpkins trimmed up nicely. Choose Manscaped. Your pants pumpkins will thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss adult film stars, U.S. Olympic athletes, and sportsman drag racers. Big Jed, have you recovered? Had a big yeah. weekend. You know, Luke, I, I don't know if if the beatdown that I'm feeling now is from the race promotion or just my regular everyday job, but I'm beat down, but I do feel like I've recovered from the racing part of it. I feel like now the job's just got me by the throat. So, um, yes and no, if that's, a, if that's an answer that I can give. Yes and no. Of course, Big Jed, hot on the heels, uh, just took his race promotion hat off. Big Jed and Steve Stites put on yeah. the Labor Day 250K in Bristol. That is one of the headliners of what may be like our most content heavy uh, weekend of the racing season. Obviously, we're going to talk the big go, the NHRA US Nationals. We're going to talk Labor Day 250K. We're going to talk uh, Mickey Thompson 40 Granders at Norwalk. We got We've got a tickets punched situation, uh, Division 6 ET Finals. That's the first ET Finals completed of this season. So we've got four drivers headed to Vegas. We've got bad beats. We've got trivia time. we got a little something for you today. We've got a good show on tap. But first, PJ North. Big Jed, we are recording post 
Labor Day weekend. And I guess this is typical, but this year feels exaggerated more than ever. I feel like we are looking back on the most result-filled and content-filled weekend, perhaps, of the season, at least at the highest levels that we like to talk about here within the sport. Yeah, Luke, it does feel that way. Hey, <laughs> uh, honestly, with with what I had going on at Bristol and, and you know, co-promoting the race and as consumed as you are in those situations, uh, to be honest, I really don't know much about what happened outside of Bristol. I have been able to catch up just a little, but boy, it was an action-packed weekend full of uh, a lot of racing of all kinds from the big go to Norwalk to Bristol and, you know, I'm sure everything in between. So I get what you're saying. It was definitely full of racing. Well, the good news, I got you covered. I had the rare opportunity to spend a Labor Day weekend at home. Didn't go anywhere. So I, I had my finger on the pulse of a lot of this and, uh, and got that unique opportunity to, to take in a lot, pay attention, watch a lot uh, from across the country. As you mentioned, obviously, you guys were consumed with the Labor Day 250K in Bristol. We will get to that. Uh, we had the Norwalk, um, Mickey Thompson, 40 Granders. Great purse structure, awesome race. Um, we've got a little bit from there. We had ET bracket finals in Division Six, which marked our first tickets punched to Vegas, to Sin City uh, of the 2021 season. But of course, it's Labor Day weekend. There's only one place to start. Yep, Indy, it's the big go. The big go, U.S. Nationals. And I think from a sportsman perspective, obviously every year there's a lot of cool stories to come out of Indy, and I've got a ton of notes that we'll get to here. But from a sportsman's perspective, I think the lead story, in my mind unquestionably, uh, it's Edmund Richardson, right? I, 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 I did this a little bit tongue-in-cheek last week after his win at Bowling Green, right? It's, it's the old, I think it's a George Strait song, right? Like Bob Wills is still the king. <laughs> Bob, Wills is not, Bob Wills is the king in like his little domain. Big E is still the king. Yeah, Edmund obviously is the the talk of the event uh, from a sportsman standpoint, sportsman racing standpoint. Luke, and you know why wouldn't he be? You're talking about a guy that's been winning for thirty plus years, and you know he, he takes a, a break here and there, but by George, when he comes back out albeit a new car or not. I mean, the guy's just incredible what, what he accomplishes on the racetrack. And that's why he's the king for sure. At Bowling Green, the, the division three event, the week prior to Indy, the, the traditional lead up to Indy, uh, Evan Richardson drove his new Camaro Roadster down the racetrack for the first time. It was the first time that that car had ever made a quarter mile run. Seven rounds later, he won the trophy. Add seven more rounds at Indy. Biggie is 14 and 0 in the new ride. I, I, I'd sent him a congratulatory text after Indy. Hey man, nice work. I, I guess you like the new car. It's a, it's a Charlie Stewart car. So that's, that's, that's one of the things that we have in common at this point, right? <laughs> Charlie, Charlie builds a good race car, obviously. obviously. And, uh, and uh, I said, I guess you like it. And he goes, yeah. I said, you haven't lost in it yet. Have you? And you just, this is just so Edmund, right? He takes back like, no, I ain't lost it. Blake lost a few times. <laughs> Blake got it sorted <laughs> out for me, but, uh, but no, the Edmund, uh, 14 and 0, uh, in super gas. This was his second win at the big go. I thought that that in and itself was, is an interesting story because I am old enough to remember Jed for a fair amount of time. That event, obviously the biggest event on the NHRA tour was the one event 
that eluded Edmund Richardson. Like he had won so many NHRA national events on in so many different classes on at every stop on the tour, seemingly, and never could make it happen at the big go. And it seemed like when he broke through in super comps, probably over a decade ago, I don't have the year in front of me. It was like it opened the floodgates and all of a sudden Biggie won everything there was to win at Indy. He won the points meet. He was winning the Jake's US Open. They'd have, he won the bracket finals. Like every time that Indy swung open the gate and Edmund rolled through, once he got over that hump, it was like, you know, you open the floodgates. And so this was only his second win at the U.S. Nationals, I say only, like that's a career for most of us, right? Um, oh, yeah. But he'd been doing it so many times and he's, and I know he's got one runner up as well. So I, it might even be a bit surprising over the, the illustrious career of Edmund Richardson that he's quote unquote only won Indy twice, but this was his second triumph at the big go. It's his 49th overall uh, NHRA national event win, which is a huge number. Uh, coincidentally enough, the divisional win at Bowling Green the week prior, his 50th divisional win. So it's interesting how those numbers correspond. What I don't think many would realize, and I actually had to, to think about it to realize that I wasn't shocked by it, 49 national event wins, two at Indy. This was the first, not the first at Indy, the first super gas win of Edmund Richardson's career. It basically completes the, the the five fecta. He's won in every, what you would consider like true sportsman class now, super stock, stock super comp, super gas, super street, uh, but had never done it in super gas prior to this event. In his defense, um, in the in the Scotty and Edmund heyday, when they were just dominating everything, Scotty won a world championship in super gas and super gas was more like, okay, we leave that to Scotty. Like Edmund hasn't run a ton of super gas, uh, but it's still surprising when you see somebody that's, done it at this high level for this long 149 of these oh by the way that's the first in 990 i don't think most people would realize that no there's no way people would realize that luke if, if you had asked me trivia time how many of edmund's 49 national event wins have come in super gas i would have guessed seven sure. or some I, I know he's he's made a, or has had a lot of wins in those other categories but i still would have guessed super gas had its fair share so I would have chose that number to be around or the, the over under to be, you know, six, seven right in there to hear that it's his first is certainly uh, surprising news. But you explained it well that, you know, that was kind of left to Scotty to do the super gas thing. He did super comp or other categories. So um, I'm guessing he hasn't given himself near the opportunities in super gas that he has in the other categories. And now that uh, he seems to be having a, a very high level of comfort with his new Charlie Stewart race car. Uh, I would say that we're going to see some more super gas wallies and um, hopefully that hundred total number to, to even him up 50 on the divisional and 50 on the national side comes in uh, super gas because that would be good for one Luke Bogacki. He's running the locker for me. I do as hot as that, that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I say that if he wins a couple more, then yeah, easy, yeah, yeah. Right? easy, big fella. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's slow this roll just a little bit, Biggie. Right? Um, but no, it's uh, it's super impressive. And actually, kind of to your point, uh, he alluded to this in uh, in this week's sports sports report with Kevin McKenna. Um, obviously, with with this success, 
you would feel like there is a, a title chase, maybe not necessarily in 2021, uh, but coming in the years to come, there's a title chase on the horizon. And Edmund basically confirmed, like, that's the reason that we built this car, right? And he had mentioned this uh, in our interview here on the podcast back a couple of years ago, that it was a goal of his and, and kind of really put it into perspective because realistically, how cool would it be? He's a four-time NHRA world champion. He won his first in the 80s. He added one in the 90s. He added a third in the 2000s. He added a fourth in the teens. If he could add a fifth spread out over five decades, that's pretty incredible stuff. <laughs> yeah. And yes, I'm not betting is. against Edmund Richardson, right? No, I mean, he's got uh, quite a few years to accomplish that in the 2020s. And if he sets his mind to it, Luke, and he, he really pursues it, uh, obviously, uh, I would say he's the, the favorite or a favorite to get it done. Absolutely. Without question. Um, so Edmund's second Indy win, which there's a number, there, there's a pretty large number of racers that have won, sportsman racers that have won twice at the big go. When you get up over to the list gets a little bit shorter. Um, thanks to Austin Williams for, for assembling the data here as he likes to do. Uh, 11 drivers have won the big go on three different occasions. And only five have won it four times or more. I've got the list in front of you, so I can't trivia time you here, Jed. Uh, I've got some trivia times coming. Uh, Of those five racers that have won the big go four plus times, we're counting alcohol in here. So obviously you've got Ace Manzo. He only won it 11 times. (laughs) Decent career for Frank Manzo, right? Not bad. Peter Biondo, six-time winner at the U.S. Nationals. Pat Austin, five-time winner. David Rampey, five-time winner. And if we go way back, George Montgomery won the big go four times. I think the majority, if not all of those, are in the 1960s. Um, So pretty elite company when you get up to four plus, which again, Edmund's not there yet. Hard to bet against him. Um, What George Montgomery, what what class would he be running in? So back in that day, like I believe... um, the class has changed a fair amount. I want to say like modified production on into maybe early stages of Superstock. This actually kind of tees up the, this next bit of random trivia is multi-class indie wins. It's only five drivers that have won Indy in three different categories. George Montgomery is one of those. And I think, again, I don't have the data in front of me, but I think that is a testament to how rapidly the landscape of NHRA racing was changing at that time. And like essentially my understanding is you could kind of have the same car that would fit in a different class this year than it did in years prior. Nah, I think that's part of the reason for George Montgomery. So I've got, I think I've got two trivia times lined up for you on today's show, but I just teed up this one and I gave you one of the answers. Multi-class indie wins. Five drivers have won the big go in three different categories. George Montgomery is one. Can you name how many of the other four could you name? Well, I would have to think Peter's one with six wins. Ding. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Rambo, I would think, was probably more just comp eliminator and super stock, but I guess there's a chance he did it in another category. So maybe Rambo. Your instinct is right. Ram- Rambo, I, be- I know has wanted in two, has not won in three. Okay. Um, Oh, my goodness, Luke. This is really hard. Uh, Maybe Jade Coughlin? 
good guess, but no. Okay. Well, I think I'm out of good guesses. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll just let you tell us the answer. All right. So I'll give you two because I know you'd have got George Montgomery if I hadn't spoiled it. Uh, of course. George Montgomery, Peter Biondo. You're, you're going you're gonna to beat your head against the wall when I tell you Brad Plord. Oh, gone. I was going to say Brad, but I thought it was just two categories for him. Brad did it in comp, stock, super comp. And the best thing about Brad's story is that all three were in cars that he had either never driven before or had driven like once prior to that weekend. Typical Brad Plord fashion. Absolutely. So George Montgomery, Peter Biondo, Brad Plord, Jeff Taylor. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Scotty Richardson. Oh, Scotty, man, I should have got that. You can just about guess Scotty on any of these trivias. and That's true. Close. You got a pretty good shot. You got a pretty good shot. All right. Yeah. I've got a ton more random indie notes, just stuff that, that stuck out to me throughout the weekend. Um, but I also got to spend a fair amount of time this weekend watching the live feed from Bristol, Jed, from your race. So I've got some insights. I've got some takeaways, but I obviously do not have the perspective that you do take us through uh, your version of the weekend in bristol well luke i could talk the rest of the show about it but i will not uh, bore everybody with that type of uh, response uh, basically the event was perfect weather and the crowd was better than i expected i I really thought we would be slightly under 300 for our 10 granders and that we would get uh, somewhere around 260 for our main event, uh, which would be anything under 275 would be a $100,000 to win footbreak race on Saturday. If it got over 275, it would be 110,000 to win on up to 300. And then the purse keeps raising every 25 car increment. So I think I spoke about it here on the show uh, the week prior to the event and a couple of weeks anyway, and thought that, uh, that we would land there. We got to 322 in our first 10. We got to 277 in the main event, which did pay $110,000, which was the highest paying footbreak race in history. And uh, we got to 308 on Sunday and the final 10 grander. So the crowd was amazing. It really was uh, just wonderful to see that many people show up uh, on the big stage. And, you know, again, it was just a, the weather was a blessing. High 70s every day, the lows in the low 60s. It was just fantastic. Um, we started the action Thursday with what is typically a $3,000 to win gambler's race. Really nice crowd in that one. We upped it to 5000 to win uh, with no additional entry fee or any of that. So, uh, that was really cool to give back to the racers and say thank you for your support. And uh, Anthony Blackburn, a legend on the bottom out of Kentucky, got the win over a really tough competitor out of Maryland, Jake Milstead, a couple of bad dudes getting after it there in that final round and moved us in that now, Friday. Keep in mind, I've been, I've been removed from the footbreak scene for more or less a decade. So I remember Anthony Blackburn in the Chevy 2. How long has he had this Malibu? Actually, the car is not his. He drives okay. it for a gentleman. Uh, still has the Chevy 2, to my knowledge, but he drives the Malibu for a, a fella. So I think he's been racing that for two to three years, Luke, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, but um, really nice piece, and he obviously drives it well. Um, 
that moved us to Friday's $10,000 win race, where uh, we again had 322 entries. A guy that has gotten close quite a few times and has won his share everywhere else but Bristol finally kicked the door down and got his big win there uh, at one of our events. And that was Devin Dudley, deadly Devin Dudley, as most people refer to him. I got the win over a guy that kind of snuck up on us. And we'll talk more about him, Brandon Michaels. Brandon was uh, in the semis of Thursday's 5K Gamblers and runnered up in the Friday 10K. Uh, Brandon driving a small tire, low seven second car out of uh, Maryland and really performed well. But uh, Devin Dudley, what can you say about that guy? He is incredible, talented young man, aggressive racer. And it was great to see Devin finally get his big win at one of our events as he's done it multiple times at Loose Rocker and, and other big races, but uh, had one uh, eluding him with us and finally got that done. So that was good to see. And uh, we pulled off a gambler's race, Luke, after or in the late rounds of Friday's 10K. We started a, a Friday, again, $3,000 to win gambler's. Got a good crowd in that as well. We upped that to 4,000 just again to say thank you. And a couple of guys that uh, haven't been to our winner's circle before uh, emerged as the, the finalists, and that was Caleb Cordell. We got the win over Matt Richeza. So it was good to see some fresh new faces in the winner's circle, stand with a couple of talented young footbrake racers and, uh, and let them get a little spotlight. It was really cool. We pulled off 322 car main event on Friday and a 213 car gamblers wow. and got, got all that wrapped up Luke by midnight. So nice really work. good. Yeah. It was a really good night on Friday night. Uh, the, the racer stuff was prepared and nobody was having trouble and causing delays. So it, it went real well. So that moved us to Saturday, the main um, event, the main event. And we could tell by the entries, we, we were, going to be somewhere in the 280 range. A couple of people broke in the time trial. I had to get out and we landed on 277, which again paid $110,000 to win. And uh, that was a, it was incredible action. There was a great atmosphere around it. A lot of people gathering around the, you know how they do out in the front of the, the tower by the tent over there when the, the late rounds are happening. And when the dust settled, two of the best to ever do it and will go down as two of the best to ever do it. Dave Harvey Jr. was facing Lucas Walker in the final round uh, for the, the $110,000 check. Obviously, uh, the, the, the guys um, got together a little earlier than that and, and cut it up and got it, made it good and fair for everyone. But Dave Harvey Jr. had just won the, the 25K wrap-up race on Sunday at the WFC and a $10,000 to win foot break race at Maple Grove a couple of weeks prior and gets the win when uh, Lucas Walker turned it to thou red in the final. Dave made a good lap, got the $110,000 payday, really cool deal. Our great friends at Pro One uh, are making him a custom racing jacket uh, to, uh, to commemorate his big win there on the mountain and uh, Lucas still put on quite a show. Uh, Luke, I, did you get to see the, the I video? The I was, I was, I was, I wanted to obviously give Dave Harvey Jr. <laughs> his flowers. So I didn't sure. want to interrupt and say like, I, 
I'm a Lucas Walker fan, so I don't ever want to see Lucas Walker lose. Yes. But I am in full favor of any time that Lucas Walker's wind light is not going to come on. I want it to be via red light so that I can get the mid-wheel stand hissy fit. It comes like just about every time that I see it, just as it kind of crests over. Because Lucas's Mustang does a gorgeous wheelie every run, right? Yes. But about the time that it crests over center and begins to come down, it is getting an intake plenum full of nitrous. And just going right back up, teetering the bumper. And he didn't come down in the final till like well past 330. Yeah, I, I was going to say, Luke, it was at least a 400-footer uh, from my view. And, you know, he, although he did not get the wind light, he was the talk of the final. Uh, Dave did it rather conservative with his little small tire Mopar rolling it deep and, you know, going seven flat or whatever he was running. Uh, Lucas definitely put on the show there, but – that was fun to watch. And, uh, you know, Lucas definitely, um, there was some aggravation in that, but, you know, it was also a bit of a cool factor too. So yeah, there's a, there's an uh, air of pissed offness, but there's also just an air of showmanship, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well said, but, uh, he, he still was rewarded mightily for his runner up. So it was a great day for Lucas and, uh, and just not quite as good as it was for Dave Harvey jr. Again, uh, that guy's been doing it for decades and doing it the same way in the same car for a long time. So this, it was great to see Dave get the win. He's a very a humble champion for sure. Dave Hover Jr. is a man that like his legacy needed no solidifying, right? Like when you yep. talk about legends of racing in general, but specifically footbreak racing, like that is a name that's on the tip of your tongue. But to win now the which obviously who knows that it won't be the largest paying footbreak race for long probably right but in the moment the the largest paying footbreak race ever like it just feels yeah. like this uh icing on the top of what has been an incredible career and an incredible run in recent years but to your earlier point like this is not new this is a man that's been dominant basically in the same car going about it the same way for decades Yep, no doubt. Well said, uh, Dave. If you remember back to the WFC on Sunday's 25K, Dave had uh, one, he had two entries in at six, and uh, his son beat him at six cars, and his son turned it a thou red at three with Dave sitting on the bye and, uh, and come up short of a father son final there. So, Dave, two in the late rounds. Dave also had one in at 13 cars in the 110k where he come up a little short but he took one and finished it off so you're talking no, about a guy that it's just incredible what he's accomplished Luke. that's where i was going to go with this obviously you've got uh, two of the biggest names in in footbreak racing in the final but i tuned in i think it was at the round of 13 i'd watched a little bit earlier in the day and the round of 13 is absolutely a who's who top to bottom of bottom ball racing and the competition and the action. And even through the, the, the television screen, like I could sense the electricity in the air that is always there at, at an event of that prestige level one. And then obviously when you, when you heighten the, the payout to the extremes that you guys were, that was coming through. Right. And to watch the runs and I just get so caught up and infatuated in the manner in which Nick Hastings goes about his business. Oh, by the way, like Nick Hastings wasn't in this final. He lost in the semis, right? Rough <laughs> yeah. day for Nick, right? 
yeah, 11 total. Well, that's the thing. I, I actually, I almost text you and I just, but I thought out loud to myself sitting on the couch watching this after Nick won at seven. I'm like, you know, it's 110 grand to win, right? And they've, I know they've already made a deal, but if I was Nick Hastings and I made just the seemingly, it just seems like he never makes a mistake. Obviously he does occasionally, but he's just so solid. And in a form of racing where it's admittedly difficult to be solid, much less in the manner that he is, I just thought to myself out loud, I'm like, man, if I was Nick Hastings, why would I ever split? Like, you're, you're going to get packaged up. You're going to beat occasionally, but like, he's going to win way more than he loses. Like, he would, outside of ostracizing himself and like no one liking him, like, you'd have to be money ahead if you just never split. Like, F off, right? Like, we're just racing for whatever the purse is. <laughs> Why would you ever split if you're Nick Hastings? It's literally five minutes later, he comes back around, he lays down 11 total beside Dave Harvey Jr. and his wind light doesn't come on. And I said out loud, oh, that's why you split if you're Nick Hastings. That's why right there. <laughs> well, you have to wonder, Luke, uh, how the split, how, how the guaranteed money changing impacts the results. Uh, you know, I, I would tend to think Nick is a guy that that's not going to impact very much sure don't get that impression yeah yeah the way he approaches the race i don't think changes with the amount of money that's on the line so you know do the others might not ever know but i, I would i would think if you were in a situation where somebody doesn't want to split nick's the guy that that you want on your team because i would think he's going to let it affect him the least amount of anyone so you never know how people are going to react in that situation, yeah. but on paper, yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, not only given his um, accomplishments, but just the, just his nature, like the way that he goes about things. Like I just can't imagine a situation in which he's not unfazed. Yeah, I couldn't either. Uh, so I'm sorry. The flip side of that argument though, and, and having lived that life, like this is, this is Nick's job, right? This is what he does for a living. So you could look at it in a broad sense. And, and obviously this is a bad example. Like he's significantly money ahead for making whatever kind of deal he made here, right? But I think broadly speaking, like it's probably safe to say that if he said no every time, he would probably be money ahead at the end of the season. I'm confident saying that he would be money ahead at the end of the season. The yeah. flip side of that argument is when this is your livelihood, it is a very, um, what's the, the word that I'm looking for? Like it has, any livelihood has its ebbs and flows, none more extreme than trying to make a living strictly off what you win on the racetrack. Like the good is really good and the bad can get really bad. And what splitting does when you're in that situation, splitting on a regular basis, it evens out those ebbs and flows a little bit. Like it, you get some sense, some more sense of stability in income. So I'll never fault the professional quote unquote professional racer that is the first to agree to splits, even though he or she may be more often than not the, the, the best racer in the field. And that's not even fair to say in this instance, like this was a field littered with the best of the best, but you can justify that to some degree just to even things out a little bit over the course of a year or the course of a decade or, or the course of a career. No doubt. Great discussion. I actually had a listener reach out to me this week and, uh, and said, you know, you guys ought to do a, do a show segment on 
the the method or mindset behind splitting and how that typically works out at a big money event. And that would be a very good show topic. And I think something for this winter that we should uh, consider uh, discussing because uh, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that for different people. They, they do it for different reasons and they do it different ways. So maybe we can build a segment around that because I think that is a good discussion that the listeners would enjoy hearing, especially from someone like yourself that's uh, been a part of that at a very high level. Uh, Sounds like a once. great January show. Put that yeah. in the till, Producer Mark. Yeah, January. So, Luke, that wrapped up the, the main event. Obviously, it was a, a great day, and, and we took a lot of pride in being involved in the highest paying foot brake race in history, but we still had a 10K to wrap us up. Really good crowd of 308 entries on Sunday's 10K. And when the dust settled there, Brian Cerruti, a guy that has done quite well at uh, our events, whether they were at Holly Springs or Bristol over the years, uh, was the last man standing um, and got the win over Howie Adams. And that was a that was a play on words that I really wasn't planning on. But speaking of last man standing, <laughs> we, we did a last man standing and guaranteed five thousand dollars to win where we had all the, the drivers associated with a numbered ticket, where it didn't have a name on the ticket, had a number. We had all the drivers associated with a numbered ticket. And you pay $50 and come up and buy as many tickets as you want. And it paid, again, $5,000 to win, guaranteed for the last man standing. When we got to 13, every one of those drivers had been chosen. There were over 70 tickets that did not get picked. Wow. So, so all 13 of those were chosen, which I thought was was really cool and odd. Um, and the guy that picked the fifth ticket out of the bag was as poor uh, timing as that was, was JJ. And he had Dave Harvey Jr.'s main no number. Yeah. Peter Biondo had Dave Harvey's X number. JJ had Dave's uh, main number. And and Dave won with his main number. Uh, so JJ was the last racer standing. The last four that, that were in, they did a little deal as well. And JJ did not get $5,000, but he got a really good payday there. And uh, and we've just bought him a little S10. So he's going to have some cash to put towards some goodies for that. He was excited, but um, didn't look good. The promoter's son went in the last man standing. <laughs> this, this could have been some tower power involved. Man, it was as random <laughs> as it could get. And again, the, it was just a bunch of numbers on tickets and there's no way you'd know who you're getting. Um, um, but, uh, JJ did get the winning ticket. So that was, that was pretty cool. That's uh, awesome. Didn't. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, we, we, we didn't make a big deal out of that. Obviously it's <laughs> now we're on the show and I'm telling the whole story, but I thought, eh. Well, you know, he, sure, you let J.J. buy a ticket. No big deal. I mean, what's the chances he's going to win, especially his fifth ticket out? And by George, he won it. So probably will eliminate J.J. from being able to pick again. In the <laughs> uh, but all in all, um, great event, Luke. Again, perfect weather, great sponsors. Racers were very well prepared, and, and they, you know, again, created a, an atmosphere like no other. Uh, Labor Day weekend on the mountain and just uh, couldn't be happier with the way it went and certainly planning next year's events to see how we can improve and, and maybe enhance. But, uh, you know, 
couldn't ask for it to be better, really. Uh, in today's times where some larger events are, are not struggling, but definitely not um, uh, exceeding expectations or, you know, just filling the pits or overrunning them. Uh, we, you know, we had 547 in July and, and a big crowd here in Labor Day, uh, just um, foot brake racers. What a blessing, man. They, they, were, they were incredible once again. Uh, it once again speaks to what you guys have built, Big Jed. I, I'm, I, won't, I won't put you on the spot here because I know that a the MVP award is a is a fling thing, and as a uh, and as a promoter that does not award a weekend MVP, you probably want to remain impartial. From what I saw, you could make an argument a number of different ways. Um, we talked about Brandon Michaels earlier. That dude went round after round after round throughout the weekend. And not to take anything away from his equipment, but like in a car that you wouldn't expect to necessarily go round after round after round in that shark pool, right? Brandon Michaels, uh, to your point earlier, you said semi the Thursday gamblers race, runner up Friday's 10 grander, was down to seven in the 100 grander, uh, was double entered all weekend. Just it seemed like every time I turned on Motor Mania TV, I'm watching Brandon Michaels go down the racetrack. Um, I, to me, like if you award MVP award, He's got to be in the discussion. What he did, I thought, was super, super impressive. Yeah, Luke, to your point, it's a fling thing and, and certainly wouldn't want to copycat that. But I did mention to someone, if we did what the fling does, I mentioned it at the event. If we did what the fling does with an MVP, there's no doubt in my mind it would have been Brandon Michaels. Uh, very impressive guy. It's an electronic fuel injection car on top of that. We know how challenging stuff like that can be on the mountain and Brandon drove the wheels off of it. it. The car wasn't always perfect, but he made it look like it was, uh, you know, with, with other methods of being able to, to run the number and whatnot. But uh, it was very impressive. That young man is a talented, talented racer and certainly uh, would easily, I think, have won the MVP if we had something like that. Full transparency. Brandon is a is a This Is Bracket Racing Elite member. And I literally, right before we started recording the podcast, got off a call with Brandon. We were recording a, uh, we call it an inside the helmet feature for Elite, where we kind of walk through his his weekend um, from through through his eyes uh, for the benefit of the entire community, just to see what we can what we can pick up from his experiences. And the numbers were incredible, Jed. I mean, to your point, <clears throat> electronic fuel injection uh, factory setup, basically. Um, I, it's just, it's such a cool story because it makes us all believe like, oh man, like we could do this at this level. Now, at some point we would all have the realization that we're not Brandon Michaels, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not quite as easy as he makes it look, but to your point about the struggle of dialing that car, especially, you know, Bristol's a tricky place to begin with. Um, in the Thursday gamblers race, he shared with me his first time Charlie went 721. When he lost in the semis, he went 708. That's one day. 1300s. Now, I mean, it didn't do that all in one run. It was progressive, but you wouldn't typically like Nick Hastings' car did not move 1300s, right? <laughs> like, no. that, that's not no, what not. you would typically see making what 45 runs over the course of the weekend. Like I say, you combine all of that with the 
obscene level of competition that you're used to at, at, at any of your events, but specifically when you when you raise the purse to this nature. I mean, I just can't say enough. Like Brandon Michaels blew me away watching all weekend. So it's cool stuff. Yeah, add me to the blown away list, Luke. And I told Brandon a couple of times he was very, very impressive. Uh, and and certainly he represented your uh, your training methods extremely well. Um, I don't know. I don't know what kind of racer Brandon is on a regular basis. Um, you know what, how he considers himself to, or where he considers himself on the list of elite racers. But he he did not seem out of place. He he didn't seem uh, all shucks to me. He 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 seemed like a guy that showed up there prepared to win, and he he performed like it. So um, if if he wasn't that prior to training, and he is that now job well done but uh if you've helped him any and i'm sure you have uh he would he would be the first to to admit that um you know your training has given him some extra tools and he used them i mean he was so impressive to watch out on the racetrack and you know certainly could run the dial in every time and was doing all the things that that the winners do so uh, brandon michaels is a, is a testament to to just being able to take what you have and make it great and be competitive. And that's, that's what I, I love about the story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly right. what he did. Very cool. Summit Motorsports Park, Norwalk. It's, uh, I mean, they, they do a handful of races a year to have for, for decades, but true, like big dollar racing where the, like the, the, the circus comes to town, like, the races that put on all that that bring in all of the touring professionals and more, right? Uh, have not regularly come to Norwalk until recent years, right? This race now becoming a staple. Their Labor Day weekend, uh, it's the Mickey Thompson Forty Granders and Jed. I don't. I, I think we had talked about this. I know it was uh, on your radar. The purse structure for this event was an attention getter. Like it's a bit of a throwback oh, yeah. to what we used to see, and, and I hope really hope we see more of going forward. Like the main event of this, I don't have the flyer in front of me. It was 40 grand to win. It was 20 grand to runner up. I think it was like 7,500 to semi. I mean, the payback was outstanding and not just in the main event. Like that was every day's race. Every day, the runner up paid half the win and, and, yep. and on down the flyer. Really refreshing per structure. Like there's not much reason to split. And obviously when we see those in the past, obviously like, the cost has to go up, right? Commensurate to the, the winner's purse from what you would normally see for a race that doesn't pay back as well. And I, I tend to think that anything that, that Billy Bader does at Norwalk is going to be supported for, for obvious reasons. But it was really good to see this race sold out months in advance. Like it was great to see racers support this type of purse structure because it's one of those things that I think we all say we want, but in the past, the, the wallet hasn't always backed that up. Um, to see such a, a packed house an event of this nature, I thought was a really, uh, in my mind anyway, a positive sign of things to come. Yeah, Luke, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I really don't know where the cap, where the number was to sell it out, to be honest. I uh, was, again, consumed with, with what I had going on, both personally and, and in racing. But um, obviously, this is the kind of race that changes the game. I mean, it you know, you've got your 20 granders, your 40 granders, your 100 granders, and so on, but you don't have them that, that leave the racer 
with without the the need, if you will, or the expectation, if you will, to split. I mean, this was great payday all the way down. And, you know, quite honestly, if nothing got done with the late rounds, wouldn't surprise me at all because it was just that good all the way to the winner's purse. So totally. And how to, how to refreshing would it be, Jed, to roll up for the round of seven in a 15, 20, $40,000 race and not worry about it? Yeah. Awesome. You know I mean, like we don't have to even have the discussion, like let's just race because if we lose here, like you're going to make five grand or whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. um, yeah, that, I, I would love to see you just taking that element essentially out of racing. Like, okay, I don't have to worry about being a mathematician and making sure that I'm not screwing myself over in the split before yeah. I get back into the race car and worry about, you know, like outperforming my opponent for five seconds. It, it, yeah. Like it, I just, I love the format. So as I was going there, the, as I said before, it's kind of like the, the traveling circus comes to town. And as a result, uh, a little bit of a, a new racetrack, not necessarily new names in the winner's circle. It was, I touched on it in the open of last week's show, how impressive the feat of Jeff Sarah was at the summer fling in Columbus, uh, drive two cars to the final of the hundred thousand dollar main event, just insane stuff, especially for somebody that has been on the year-long run that Jeff Sarah has been on. Well, at Norwalk, a week later, Jeff's buddy, Cal Coltrera, did his best Jeff Sarah impression, Big Jed, in the $40,000 main event. Cal Coltrera drives two separate cars, ends up with one of those cars in the winner's circle, and the other car Taking runner-up honors, Kyle Coltrera runs himself in the final of the $40,000 main event. Yeah, incredible performance by Kyle. Again, a guy that just continues to show up in the late rounds, right in the thick of things. Uh, made a run at the, uh, obviously a serious run at the Spring Fling Million in uh, Bristol last year. Uh, Kyle accomplished something that I wasn't sure could be done much less basically two times in back-to-back weeks both events in ohio luke if you told me that someone was going to run themselves in the final once i would have told you it's impossible if you told me it was going to happen back-to-back weeks in the same state i would have bet the farm against it and if you had told me that it would not be a racer from ohio because that is a talented state I mean, they've got tons of great racers in that state. If you told me it would happen back to back, same state in Ohio, there wouldn't be a racer from Ohio that did it. Again, would have bet everything I had and would have lost it. Kyle Cotrera, amazing accomplishment on the heels of what happened at the fling the week before. And just again, continues to show that he is an elite bracket racer and should be listed among the greats anytime you're having that discussion. You are, you are, um, you're playing it up for the, the Buckeye fans, big Jed, like you're, 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 wow. you're just playing into that narrative because I'm telling you two weeks ago, there is nobody, at least in my mind, that nobody might be in a bit of an overstatement. There's nobody from the state of Ohio that said some outsider is going to come in here and win any of our money, much less all of it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, that's guys, a proud state. Luke. I, I realize that, but I mean, to take nothing away from Jeff Sarah and Kyle Coltrera, Ohio, they got you. Y'all ain't that good. (laughs) 
mean, they had a they had a Quaker come in from Pennsylvania. And do it, and <laughs> all right, I love stirring the pot. Come on, all right, yeah. And then Ohio, where Contreras like from Maine or something. <laughs> yeah, is that even in the United States? Yeah, Where's I mean, they yeah. don't even drag strip there. I don't think so. I don't think there is actually. <laughs> yeah. I come from a state where they don't even race. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ohio. Um, roll Tide. Oh yes. So uh and and kind of circling back to our earlier point of that purse structure, like I am not privy to what the split is at any of these races, but it would surprise me none if Kyle Cotrera left there with sixty thousand dollars. Like it's easy in hindsight to say why would you split yeah. any of that? But I think it it's realistic to run that final no split, assuming that you're running someone else, right? Um if I'm two cars in in the semis of a race with that deep a purse structure, I don't know that I want to talk about it. Like uh, if Kyle didn't get 60, I bet he got close to it. Like that's a windfall. Like that is probably comparable. I don't know. Just Sarah won a hundred thousand dollar race, ran himself in the final. I don't know what the split discussion was there, but the, 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 the win to runner up to semi was significantly different. Like I would imagine there was some discussion had there, right? Like I'm yeah. not sure that Kyle Cotrera took significantly less money out of Norwalk than Jeff Sarah did out of Columbus simply because of that tremendous purse structure that we talked about earlier. Yeah, not if you had 15 grand coming to you minimum if you had right. two of the semis and you're you're guaranteed that <laughs> right. now I might would have wanted to turn that into 20 just because 20 sounds a lot more gooder than 15. But that's but even the, that's taken five grand off the top. Yeah, right? that's the yeah. most I would have asked right. for or or you know wanted to do. So the likelihood of of Kyle leaving with fifty plus is very good. So I, I you know, it was a it was a hell of a day, Luke. That's what it was. <laughs> I no mean, hell of a day. So while Kyle Cotrera put on his best Jeff Sarah impersonation on Saturday, not to be outdone, Big Jed. Jeff Sarah comes back on Sunday, the $20,000 to win main event. And guess who graces the winner's circle? It is Jeff Sarah continuing, obviously, a ridiculous two week hot streak, but it goes much deeper than that. We talked about Jeff's exploits uh, between the, that Virginia Galat weekend, and that's just an extension of the 2021 season, which is just an extension of the way that he finished 2020, obviously, most notably winning the Great American Guaranteed Million and then uh, continuing that hot run into the Florida Winter Series. Uh, no one has been hotter over the course of the last year. Uh, and honestly, I don't know that you could take a calendar year in history that trumps what Jeff Sarah has done in the last calendar year. Really impressive stuff. I guess I do need to give a, a shout to Ohio. Matt Dadis, another familiar name, was in the final uh, before falling to Jeff Sarah. He was carrying the Ohio flag, but since he didn't win, I, I can just lay it on. Come on, Ohio, where you at? <laughs> Yeah, obviously, uh, uh, Dat Mattass is uh, is one of the best and always shows up as well. Great to see Matt make a make a big final round. But Jeff, Sarah, Luke, I, I somewhat challenged him. I doubt he listens to the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast with Luke and Jed. But I don't know, four to six weeks ago, I said, man, if Sarah would just turn on some of these final round win lights instead of a few runner ups here and there, he would easily be racer of the year. And so, um, he probably didn't listen, but the message got to him, obviously. I think somehow this stuff gets aggregated. Like, yeah. I think it eventually, we say something like that, like, Ohio is going to be on my ass, Jim. 
Oh, now they're going to get me first. At this point, I don't think anyone from Ohio listens to our show. But (laughs) some people that have friends in Ohio do listen to this show and they're going to be like, you know, y'all hear what Luke's saying? Like, yeah, I think the stuff gets back. Right. Yeah. Your trouble's coming. Your your trouble's (laughs) definitely coming. But again, Jeff Sarah is turning on the wind lights now, sometimes beating himself in the final. And uh, he is easily making his case or making his case easy for us to, to name him driver of the year. I mean, what a incredible season he is having. And again, if you just do it on a rolling 12 months and take the latter part of 2020, it's even way more gooder than that. I mean, the, the guy's on quite a roll. I don't want to be a, a prisoner of the moment because I mean, if we have this conversation in what, like early April, it's hard to envision that our, our driver of the year is not Nick Hastings, right? Yes. Um, and, and if you had to, to handicap it, I think it's those two um, right now. Like, yeah, you'd, you'd have to give Jeff the edge, but who's to say that Hastings isn't going to go out and win two more $50,000 plus to win races? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, those two seem to have oh, separated yeah. themselves for the field. If you're looking to go outside of that, like, I think – if you put it on me to, to make a viable argument for somebody else, I think I'd make a viable argument for Pete Dagnolo, particularly if he goes on and continues what he's doing in competition eliminator, wins the NHRA world championship, which he is in the lead for uh, what he's done in competition eliminator. He's got a national event win in Superstock. He's got a pair of big dollar bracket wins in a slower door car. Like the versatility, the, 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 the manner in which he goes about it and just how impressive the runs are like, you could make a case uh, if you're trying to stack trophies or you're trying to stack uh, revenue. <laughs> it's hard to argue with Jeff Sarah and Nick Hastings. I don't even know who you'd give the edge between those two, but right now today it feels like Jeff just because you can't, it doesn't seem like he's lost in six weeks at the highest level. Yeah, definitely for me as Jeff, uh, Nick, always in the running and a guy that I have tremendous amount of respect for because he does it on the bottom bulb and the top bulb, which to me just, you know, that versatility makes you a more well-rounded racer that I would tend to lean to, but you just can't argue against what Jeff's doing. Uh, and, and to have, you know, Pete Dagnolo mentioned is, you know, that's not giving him, when I say kind of honorable mentions, not giving him his, his justice, you know, not giving him his, his due rewards because, that guy is as good as anyone in racing right now. And if you line him up against uh, Nasty Nick or Jeff Sarah, that don't mean I would take Nasty Nick or Jeff Sarah. I mean, Pete D uh, behind that Malibu or even his faster stuff, you know, where he's running comp, the guy's just incredible. His talent and ability to adapt to whatever racing environment he is in is phenomenal. And out of the three of those, he is the guy that puts himself in more different rides or, 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 you know, more different types of vehicles to where you're having to, to do things a different way. And the adaptability that he has shown is second to none. Uh, you know, if you just want overall talent, it'd be hard to argue against what Pete D's doing. But from a season standpoint and accomplishments, Jeff Sarah right now would, would be the man for me. Hard to argue with that. I don't want to spend too much time on this, Big Jed, but the first of 
the seven NHRA geographical divisions to host their ET finals was up in the great Northwest this past weekend in division six. So we've got a tickets punch situation, big jet. We got tickets punched to sin city from D six. Yeah. At the D six ET finals, super pro Ryan Schaefer, Vancouver, Washington, safe travels to Las Vegas to Ryan in pro. It was Chris Wingert, Boise racer. I think it's fair to mention here too, Jed. Uh, I know that you're close with the, uh, with Steve Kelly. Yes. Chris Wingert defeated Steve Kelly in the final round of the race of champions, which it is the, the race of champions winner uh, from division six that gets the opportunity to travel to Vegas. That was Steve Kelly's first loss on the weekend following 13 consecutive round wins that got him to the final of the race of champions. He won the, uh, the Friday night gamblers race advanced through six rounds of the race of champions before losing that final, which I believe was by less than a thousandth of a second. So Steve Kelly, impressive performance, but ultimately will not represent division six in Las Vegas. Yeah, all due respect to, uh, to uh, Chris Winger, that's, uh, that's a great win for Chris, and, and he deserves it, and he's going to go on and represent his division at the World Finals. But, man, what a heartbreaker for my buddy Steve Kelly. 13-round uh, win streak, snapped in the final, Luke, as you said, by less than a thou. I think it was, oh, I think it was like four ten thou or something. It was uh, like a triple O four finish, but just a heartbreaker for a guy that uh, would, you know, would go out and perform well at the the world finals and represent division six. He's uh, been there before. Yeah. Like a champion. And I know Chris Winger to do the same thing. And again, certainly wasn't pulling against Chris, but hey, to see that from my buddy, Steve, that, that was a tough loss, but you know, he, uh, he took it well and, and he he'll move forward and have his shot again. Uh, Luke in the sportsman category, a, a guy that I uh, think has been there before as well. Derek Jackson got the win um, for the sportsman category in division six to go to the, to world finals. And, you know, this class next, uh, I don't know much about these guys, but it's I listed. I know that the division six representative wins the world championship every freaking year. <laughs> well, it's so that listed seems as important, right? It's listed as bike slash sled. So I'm guessing you can have either or, um, I really don't know, but Frank Scally, from Salem, Oregon. By the way, I've been to Salem, Oregon. It's a beautiful city. Um, Frank Scally got the win, and uh, he'll represent his division at the World Finals. But I don't know if Frank rides a bike or a sled. But boy, I bet he's hell on, uh, you know, whatever tracks or wheels, wheels or whatever or tracks yeah, or skids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I raced in Ohio one time at uh, at uh, Quaker oh, so City. Oh, we're gonna and, bring Ohio back into it. Okay. Yeah, I raced there at Quaker City one time, and uh, and we were running a no no box race, and somebody come down the lanes on one of those <laughs> one of those uh, snowmobiles, and uh, like I'm there with Adam Davis and you know a couple more boys from the south, and uh, Adam looked at me and he said. They let sea dudes race in this thing. <laughs> said, you know, I ain't sure that's a sea dude, but I don't know what it is. It's got a big old track on it. And I know that. So, whatever you're riding, Frank, give them hell, brother. Follow up question on your trip to Ohio. Did you leave thinking that they were as good as you thought? <laughs> Sorry, don't answer I that. I don't want to answer that at all. <laughs> they were every bit as good as I thought. Let's just say that. 
One more note from God, I'm gonna get killed by Ohio. Uh, one more note from uh, Division Six ET Finals. Did you see this, Jed? No. Team Championship, Team Woodburn. Okay, which was the the host facility here? Team Woodburn won the team championship. Okay, cool. Like so, somebody's got to win, right? This was the 18th team championship for Woodburn Dragway. I don't know oh how goodness. many ET finals there have been in Division Six. Like, I wouldn't imagine it's much more than double 18. 18 championships for a team seems ridiculous. It does seem ridiculous, Luke, in an environment where I anticipate uh, every track that that sends representatives to the finals sends a full team. Now, yeah, my impression of Division Six is more like where I grew up when I grew up. Like the ET finals were a big, big deal. And my impression in talking to racers out there is simply making your track's team is like that's checking off a huge goal for the season. Like that's something yeah. to be very proud of. Right. I agree. I think uh, th- there's been some dominant performances by tracks that send full teams where everybody else don't. But I think this is uh, quite impressive because I anticipate that there's a lot of full teams at their finals. So not only did team Woodburn win the team championship for the 18th time, they like ran rough shot over the weekend. This was on drag champ. Like I'll give them credit. The team Woodburn almost made the top 10, like the whole team. <laughs> because in, it's their 18th championship. Members of the team won five of the eight categories on Friday, six of the eight categories on Saturday, and then had another four finalists on Sunday. Uh, like Team Woodburn to the front. By the way, I've been to Woodburn Dragway or Drag Strip or whatever it's called. I've been there too. Woodburn uh, Motorsports Park. Yeah, there too. Yeah, when I sure. went to when Chris I went White. to Salem, Oregon, had a had a little bit of time and uh I just went for a drive up through wine country and, and went to Woodburn and, uh, it's beautiful, older facility, well-kept. And, uh, actually when I went, Warren and Kurt Johnson was testing, they were just parked right in the staging lanes, just testing for the Western swing. So, um, those are great memories of the beautiful Woodburn facility. That's not really not relevant right now. I mean, it really didn't matter, but I just wanted you to know that we've talked about Salem, Oregon, and we've talked about Woodburn Motorsports Park, and I've been to both. Carry on. You you talk about WJ and KJ testing. Like, it brings to mind, Gary Stinnett told me a story, obviously he worked for WJ, about WJ testing at Dallas, and I cannot do the story justice. I don't think I'll try, but if I could, I, I could see if I line this up to get Gary Stinnett on this show just to tell that story. Um, it involves like not having brakes on a pro stock car and WJ knowing that and making a full pull in a pro stock car. Not, <laughs> and if I rem- if I, if I accurately recall, not once, but twice. <laughs> yeah. Like good stuff. It made me, uh, it made me view Warren Johnson in a little bit different light. And, uh, and, and, and I liked him a lot more after hearing the story from, from Gary Stinnett. So yeah, I'll yeah. see if I can arrange that. We'll see if we make that happen. That sounds like another January podcast episode. Yeah. Be great filler in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to circle back to Indy. I want to nerd out on Indy. Cause I got to, I got to watch it from afar, pay a lot of attention to it over the weekend. Some things struck me as interesting and I just, uh, I love Indy, right? Like it's uh, that the atmosphere, the electricity, it, the, the, the winner's purse is nothing like what you guys race for in Bristol. Like it, it absolutely doesn't compare, but the prestige, the, 
it's just indie like and you can't completely comprehend that until you're there and i don't know that you can comprehend until you're there and in on i would say in on monday this year it was in on sunday but indie special so um, i was glued to it it's one interesting fact about indie big jed is in its history as prevalent as doubles have become in sportsman categories there's 20 plus i think it's like 26 racers now that have doubled in nhra competition and those racers have made for like 40 plus doubles like it's happened a fair amount of time it's never happened at the u.s nationals no one has ever had that prestigious honor winning two classes at the same u.s nationals trivia time number two i told you there's a second one coming love it all right three racers over the course of history have come within one round of the elusive indie double. That means that they hoisted the Wally at Indy and runnered up a second class. No one's ever won them both. Can you name any of the three drivers to have done that? Uh, Scotty. Yes. 1996. <laughs> All right. Yeah, see, just go with Scotty. Yeah, absolutely. It holds true. Uh, I mean, I would think surely to goodness Peter's done that. Peter has not, for all his success at Indy, Peter has not been in multiple finals at the same Indy. Okay. Um, well, Luke, uh, I'm pretty much out of guesses. Uh, there's, there's people that I'm looking at names in the show notes here and there, and, you know, seem like maybe, maybe some of the guys that run two bottom bulb classes or two 90 classes would be likely candidates, obviously. So maybe an Emmons or, Somebody like that, but I'm pretty much out of guesses. All right. So shouts to Austin Williams. He, he verified this for me, but I had this. I, I, for some reason, this was tucked away in the, in the files. I had all three. Granted, wow. they're not super, they're not ungettable by any means, right? If you're going to make multiple finals at Indy, you've, we've probably heard your name. The first, 1991. And really, this was the first time that the idea that a racer could win two categories at the same event became a thing. Like, there were very few racers that ran two categories. A double had never happened in 1991. And it was there on the biggest stage on live TV that we all realized, oh, my God, it doesn't, it, it's not just that it can happen. This is going to happen. And it was one Pat Austin who had dominated oh, yeah. Alcohol Funny Car for years and almost predictably won Alcohol Funny Car at the U.S. Nationals. That was, I believe, the first race where he was taking over for Gary Ormsby. When I believe, if, if memory serves, Gary Ormsby uh, was diagnosed with cancer. Pat Austin jumps in the seat of the top fuel car. And the procedure to do a burnout, obviously, I don't know this firsthand, but is considerably different between a top Alcohol Funny Car and a top fuel car. And the way that it was explained on live TV was Pat just kind of forgot what he was in and like uh, kicked the throttle on the fuel car and literally like blew the blower off the intake manifold in the burnout for the final. Oh my goodness. Yes. And now he redeemed himself. I think it was the next national event on tour was at Topeka. Pat Austin wins the same two classes and becomes the first driver in NHRA history to double, but it didn't happen at Indy. Five years later, you mentioned Scotty Richardson. That was 1996 in the, in uh, Susan Wade actually did an awesome job. Um, 
I don't know if any of our listeners read, it was on competitionplus.com of reliving 1996 at Indy because that's the, the, the tragic season uh, where I don't think anybody there felt like racing. Like that's the year that, that Blaine, Blaine Johnson's life was taken as well as Elmer Tretz in on-track incidents at the same U.S. Nationals, like 24 hours apart. Um, but the race went on and Scotty Richardson nearly did the thing. And I remember this, and I think I've shared this story on the podcast before for whatever reason, because this is not common now. And I don't really remember it being common at any point in history, but they showed the sportsman finals live on, it might've been TNN back then. I think it was before the ESPN days. Right. And they were running them all like in the typical order. So stock comes out first, right. And Scotty Richardson wins stock eliminator. And Keep in mind, this is 1996. I'm the biggest Scotty Richardson fanboy in the world, right? Fired up. Well, they roll through the remaining categories and they skip over where Super Comp would normally fall into the rotation. And my dad's like, oh my God, they're not going to show a Super Comp. And I'm like, no, man, they got to wait. Scotty's got to come back around. And this is way before the internet. Like no one knew <laughs> Scotty Richardson. I knew Scotty was in the final Super Comp, right? So we wait, Scotty comes back around, loses the Super Comp final to Bill Yates. And the reason all of that resonates with me, that, that 1996 and that tragic season, like I, at that time, I was obviously familiar with Blaine Johnson. I had no idea who Elmer Trett was. For those of you that that, that name doesn't mean anything to, Elmer Trett was like basically the, the Don Garlitz of motorcycle racing. Back then it was top fuel Harley. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know how comparable that is to today's Nitro Harley, but Elmer Trett was like the innovator, the godfather of that category. And I remember in Scotty's post-race interview, how emotional he was. And he's like, not to take anything away from Blaine Johnson. He's like, but Elmer Trett was my hero. And I, you know, Scotty came up racing motorcycles, right? It, it kind of made sense. It, it, it came full circle. So that was Scotty in 96. Two years later, David Rampey, 1998. Rambo, it's Alabama, Jed. You should have got that one. Yeah, I feel horrible. Rambo, winner in Super Comp, runner up in Comp. Interesting note there, and I got to give credit to Austin Williams on this one because I'd have never come up with this. So Rambo goes to Indy, is uh, winner in Super Comp, runner up in Competition Eliminator. Two weeks prior, Brainerd, Minnesota, Rampy did the exact same thing. One Super Comp, runner up Comp, comes to Indy and does it yet again. Those are the only three to make multiple finals or basically come within one round of doubling at Indy. But to this point, no one's ever done it. Uh, quite elusive uh, accomplishment there. So that's, um, that's coming though, Luke. It's yeah, com- it, it that's going to seems... happen in the next five years. Oh, okay. All right. Bold prediction. It, it does seem inevitable. And yet at the same time, for those, for those of us that have raced Indy, like it, while it seems inevitable at the same time, it seems impossible. Like it is just such a, yeah. uh, it's hard to quantify against the other types of racing that we do. Like India is so hard to win for multiple reasons. I mean, number one, especially now with the all-stars there, I mean, you had the best of the best there to begin with, mm-hmm. but now you bring in the all-star from each division. Like you're going to run a who's who every round and the way that Indy is laid out, like every round, I'd say every round, the majority of rounds are completely blind. Like you will go down the track once every 24 hours. So you've got a whole new bag of variables. And I always like, personally, I always try to look at that as an advantage. Like, okay, nobody really knows what they can go. 
and like I've got more data than anybody, you know, like I can, I can, I should be able to dial my stuff. And I feel like I'm a good finish line driver. Like this should play into my advantage, right? That's the way I would normally approach those rounds. But sure. then I pull under the, the bridge at Indy and look over at Ray Ray or Gary Stinnett or Sherman Adcock. And you can't feel like you have an advantage. You just can't. You know I mean? So, and that's yeah. literally every round. Like Indy's ridiculously tough. So this season at, at Indy, this long story to get to this, there were a handful of racers that flirted with the double. But when I say flirted with the double, like they were in both classes Sunday. Nobody got particularly close. Like TJ Coughlin was a semifinalist in Supergas, and obviously he was in Sunday on Pro Stock. He lost first round, but he's four rounds away from winning. Uh, Aaron Stanfield, similar. I uh, was in the final of factory stock, also qualified for pro stock. Uh, Tom Stalba was in super comp and super gas. Uh, Trevor Larson was in two categories late. Jeff Lopez, Justin Lamb. Um, but nobody beyond, nobody had like two entries in the semis, right? Nobody got particularly close. And now with the all-stars being at Indy, like there is this potential for a, a new double, so to speak. Uh, Kevin McKenna and I were, were talking about this in the lead in last week, like, would it be more impressive, not even the word, would it be more coveted to double at Indy or would it be more coveted to win the All-Stars and then win Indy in the same weekend? Like two different types of doubles are available now, right? If that's the treasure, um, Byron, Brian Warner, uh, sorry, Byron, Brian, Brian Warner, reigning NHRA Superstock World Champion, got as close as anybody's gotten in recent years. He won the All-Stars in Superstock and then went on to semi-final in the main event. Uh, so really impressive showing, especially for the guy that's got the target on his back and the number one on the window. Uh, Rusty Cook also won the Supergas All-Stars. It was his second All-Stars victory, and then got close in Super Comp. Granted, it's a, it's a different car, a different category, uh, but I believe he was a quarter-finalist in Super Comp in the main event. Those were the two that really jumped out as far as making a deep run and getting so close to what I, th I would have to think would have to be a... Uh, probably as prestigious as coveted a uh, a double, so to speak, if you would, as it would be to to get that elusive double class win at Indy. You know, like somebody is going to do the double double one day. Somebody, Ooh, that would somebody's going to win two right. All Stars classes and win their main event in both cars, or one All Stars class and double. Like that would be, yeah, that'd be something. Yeah. Yep, that's going to happen one day. All right, write it down. The man of bold predictions. Yeah. So speaking of the all-stars, I'll just recap um, for our listeners, Jed. Um, <laughs> so Kevin McKenna and I, uh, you know, had some fun on last week's episode and, uh, and we, we did our best to pick the winners of the all-stars. And I, I admittedly, I said on that show, all right, Kevin, when this is all said and done, if I pick more winners than you do, I'm going to bring it up next week. If you pick more winners than I do, this will never get mentioned again. Um, Kevin picked more winners than I did. And I, so I'm, I'm backtracking. I'm, I'm mentioning that neither of us did particularly <laughs> well um, in our, in our predictions. Um, I don't know what the problem was. I picked all-stars. I picked guys that should win. Uh, I guess the problem was that everyone in the field was all-stars An all-star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in retrospect, I, I, I'd, I'd like to think that my wheelhouse should be, you know, like the classes that we normally talk about um, super stock stock, the super class is obviously top dragster, top sportsman. Like I, I feel like I have my finger on the pulse of those classes. So it makes sense that the only two all-stars victors that I correctly predicted were in competition eliminator and top alcohol funny car, because 
I know a lot about competition eliminator and top alcohol funny card. <laughs> um, I'll give I'll give uh, K Mac his flowers. He did call it on Terry Emmons, your stock winner. He called Rusty Cook super gas. He called Julie Matas top alcohol dragsters. So there you go, K Mac. I mentioned it. You beat me. Nice job. Well done, K Mac. Well done, K Mac. All right. Um, I think it it it's worth mentioning too. Um, not one of the feel good stories from India. I guess it is in, in it, when it all comes full circle. It's a very feel good story. Yeah. Ultimately, um, yeah. Scary moment at Indy. Uh, Sherman Adcock Jr., friend of the podcast, he's been on with us before, friend of ours personally. Um, I saw, uh, just again watching the results like it was, that Sherman had won first round in both cars and that he did not make the call for second round in either Super Comp or Super Gas. And I'm like, well, something's up. Uh, something was certainly up. Uh, Sherman Adcock suffered, I guess, what is called a, uh, a mild, or I think the, the actual medical term is a mini stroke. Those are not my words, right? Like, in, I don't, I, if I'm Sherman Adcock, there's no such thing as a mini stroke. Sure. Uh, but that's, that's the medical term. Uh, Sherman actually, I believe, spent the night in the hospital, uh, had by accounts of, uh, by Michelle's account, at least on Facebook, um, had a, had a, fairly miraculous uh, recovery and, and everything seems to be great and back to normal. I think I know that Sherman's back home and doing well, but certainly a, a scary moment. Yeah. Very scary moment. Uh, Luke to think that, you know, Sherman's in pretty good shape and um, that that could happen to any of us at any time, especially at a moment like that. And you're not sure how, uh, winning first round, you know, what it does to your adrenaline level and all that. And then you may have an effect off of that. It just, you just never really know what causes that type of stuff. So very scary. I guess the, the main fortunate part of this is that it didn't happen on the racetrack. So that's a wonderful thing. Obviously he was not far removed from being on the track. And, uh, the other great fortune in this is that, uh, Sherman seems to be doing well. And my understanding uh, from second or third hand knowledge of the situation, uh, Sherman told his doctor, okay, well, we figured out what happened and everything's fine. I feel good. And I won first round. So I got to get back and race. And the doctor Sound, said, uh, sounds like Sherman. Yeah. No, no, you don't, sir. Uh, you won't be going back to the racetrack this time. So um hate that for Sherman. I know that that that's uh you know winning Indy's a big deal and and you're talking about a guy certainly capable of doing it in one class or maybe even that elusive double we've been discussing but nonetheless Sherman got back home to his family and appears to be able to resume uh, normal life again and and not have any lingering effects and again that's easy for me to say but uh certainly appears that he's doing well so glad to hear that for our man Sherm. 100% glad to hear that. And look, on the bright side, we just said no one's ever doubled at Indy. No one, with the exception of Sherman Adcock, entered two categories at the 2021 U.S. Nationals and did not lose. Yeah, Sherman did go undefeated. Way to go, Sherman. Way to go, bud. One class I want to focus on, Jed, because it's fun to talk about and particularly on the weekend blew me away. How about top sportsmen at the U.S. Nationals? So we've made habit in the past of talking about how fun top dragster is at Indy, specifically just watching qualifying in top dragster. I got to admit, Jed, TD was a little bit of a letdown this year. There was only 32 cars. It's a 32-car field, right? So there was no like insane bump. Of the 32 cars in top dragster, 
28 qualified at 618 or quicker. Keep in mind, you can't go faster than 610. That's impressive. Um, but again, like you don't have anybody not getting in the show. So, so some of that appeal, some of that prestige was gone. Um, if we lost anything in terms of excitement in Top Dragster, Top Sportsman made up for it. Okay, there were only 32 entrants in Top Sportsman. So again, no qualifying drama. But what feels new to Top Sportsman, like I, I've praised Lester Johnson for years, right? Like class minimum Lester Johnson is my favorite Lester Johnson. I will stick by that statement. <laughs> but what was so impressive about watching Lester go 610 was like nobody else went faster than 650, right? That's changed. Everybody's going fast in Top Sportsman. Of the 32 qualifiers, eight qualified at quicker than 650. Three quicker than 620. Shouts to Glenn Butcher for qualifying on the pole, qualified at 614, and then was class minimum Glenn Butcher in eliminations without 610 a couple of times. I dig that, right? And those fast cars weren't just out there making fast runs and qualifying, Big Jed. Of those eight that qualified quicker than 650, five of them were in the quarterfinals. In fact, the quarterfinals in general Pretty insane. The slowest dial-in in the quarterfinals belonged to one Matt Driscoll. He was dialed 667. It's one of the faster top sportsman cars out there. Everyone else that round dialed faster than 660. It set up an epic semifinal matchup, Big Jed, between the aforementioned Lester Johnson, who, oh, by the way, is dialed 618, and Jimmy Lewis dialed a slower, quote-unquote, 639. Okay, just to put that in perspective, like at the eighth, Jimmy Lewis went 415. Lester Johnson went 409. For those of you that just eighth mile bracket race, like chomp on that for a second. They are bracket racing. Yes. Wow. Jimmy, uh, Lester, trip zip on the tree, 619.7 on that 618 dial. That's 17 total. Jimmy Lewis, 11 up front, dead on with the one. 12 total to get the win and advance to the final round in Indy. And I looked at that and thought, wow, that's impressive. And then I looked at it and went, Jimmy went 206 mile an hour. Like that seems fast, right? Lester went like 230 something. They're only dialed two tenths difference. I'm like, well, Jimmy had to kill some. Like, what did he kill? Jimmy's down 15 mile an hour, Jed. <laughs> wow. To go dead on one, 639, down 15 to go 206. Holy smokes, Jed. He took sixth out. Now, <laughs> granted, incredible. when you're going 200 mile an hour, sixth out might be half a car. It's still impressive. Yeah, it's very impressive. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's especially to go to do that and go dead on. I mean, you you obviously yes. were, you know, were banking on your driving ability uh, in a car going 220 miles per hour. So getting chased. Uh, yeah, so Jimmy, Jimmy approached that run very confident and then accomplished what he was up there to do. That was very impressive. Very impressive. And Jimmy Lewis, no stranger to success. He goes on to win Indy. I'll, I'll talk about the final in a minute because it was just as good. Uh, Jimmy's a former NHRA world champion in the super gas category, has obviously found a new home in top sportsman. This is his second national event win of the season. Uh, the final was Jimmy versus the slow guy, Alan Firestone. He's only out 6.59. Almost the slowest car in the class at, at the quarterfinals. Right. Jimmy's 19, dead on six. Just to, to showcase that 15 mile an hour killed, Jimmy's dialed 639 in the semis. He's dialed 635 in the final. I'm just going to wheel it down 400. I'm going to get a little more honest for the final. 
I like that. Okay. So Jimmy lays down 25 total in the final. Alan Firestone, 20 on the tree. Take six. Tell me, Jed. Mm. He did, needed to take five or less. Five or less. He, uh, it's one so, thou under. So, so Jimmy benefited from a six thou yes. margin of victory both ways in the Absolutely. last two rounds. Absolutely. I just, like I say, when I, I looked at, I watched a little bit of it live and in person and then looking at the numbers, top sports, and I just went, wow, <laughs> these guys are not playing around. Oh, no, they are not playing around that. And I would say killing 15 mile per hour to go the 639. I would say that 635 was pretty honest. I, I would say it's right. I'd say it's around four mile per hour per hundredth uh, in that type of speed so and it, to that point it looked like like i went back looking at his qualifying and time trials it looked like jimmy was on the floor in the final to go dead on 635 yeah. so yeah which makes me think that jimmy's dead one killing 15 mile per hour in the semis had a bit of luck to it luke uh I, because you're if that strategy it's actually reversed you're going to dial honest getting chased and you're going to bag a little chasing especially somebody that's only a couple of tenths slower than you so um i don't think that was all strategy by jimmy i think jimmy just um just got it done just drove the wheels off of it there in the semis but uh might have had just a touch of luck with that and then just made him a flat out run the final and got it done i'm gonna go to sleep tonight believing that it was all intentional and that jimmy <laughs> lewis is a god <laughs> uh you know i like that too one last note from Indy, and I don't, I don't know if I should have saved this for last or not, but I did think that it was worth mentioning. Uh, while not widespread, I don't, I, my impression is that it did not affect a wide variety of racers. And, and in fact, the best that I could tell, it didn't really affect anything but one specific category. But problematic track conditions did rear their head and create an issue at the biggest race uh, on the tour. And this is not new to Indy. Like this has happened before. Uh, I, I think part of it is just the, the nature of the event and the fact that you're running cars at 7 a.m. and you're running cars at midnight, right? And it's just, it's very difficult to keep the track completely pristine at, at all times. So uh, the category that it seemed to impact was super calm. And this was Sunday morning uh, after rain had plagued the event throughout the day Saturday. It had a lot of rain Saturday. Supercomp's actually the third the third class out. So Super Street got down the track fine. Stock Luminary got down the track fine. It was high mile per hour, high powered Supercomp cars in the middle of the track where they're kicking off the throttle stop in one specific lane. If I remember right, it was the right lane. Had issues. And we saw good cars like um, Joe Hessling driving Ray Connolly's car. Cal Bigley, Ray Ray Miller, Trevor Larson, Rusty Cook in a winning effort because Brad Plord went, went red beside him, um, just struggled to go down the racetrack, like uh, a tenth slow, uh, blow the tires off when it kicks off the throttle stop. And I'm not here, like, I, I am not one to, to place blame. Like, I'm going to say there, obviously the track was imperfect, but at the same time, it was a select group of cars struggling to go down and they were higher powered cars, like lower powered super comp cars went down that lane just fine. Right. And I know that no one wants to make conditions, anything less than perfect. Right. Like it's not like the safety safari is like, Oh, let's see if they can get down this. Right. Like that's not the goal. Right. And <laughs> everybody's working as hard as they can to avoid situations like this. Now you could say like, this was, 
five consecutive pairs, you could have maybe caught this earlier. And perhaps that's true. But how much better does that make the situation then? Then you get one or two racers that are shorted, screwed, however you want to say it, like don't get get the opportunity taken away from them to 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 win indie potentially, right? If it's one or two or if it's four or five, like it still sucks, right? Like I don't, I don't it's unfortunate, but I the reason that I wanted to bring this up is that it just to me it goes to show that even on the biggest stage in the sport where you would expect everything to be perfect, that conditions aren't perfect because conditions can't be perfect. And as much as we don't like it, as as upset as I would be if I was Trevor Larson in that situation or whoever, um, like that is part of the game. Like these are conditions that we all have to deal with, whether we like it or not. Like no one's trying to sabotage the racetrack. It's just that's the way things go sometimes, right? Most definitely, that is part of the part of the game, if you will. I mean, um, you know, uh, we wasn't really going to talk about this, but we we had several cars at Bristol. When you get that kind of crowd, we had several cars that uh, their their stuff didn't mesh perfectly with the with the racing surface, and we had hundreds that did. So, you know, what do you do? We 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 gave it everything we could, and we certainly wanted that racetrack to be absolutely perfect for everyone. But sometimes you just don't get there, and it's part of it. I've, I've been to races where I had trouble going down the racetrack, and as I've stated here on the show before, I, when that happens, I first thing I do is go to the fence instead of the the track owner or the promoter, and I, I say, well, there's guys running what I'm running going down the racetrack and doing just fine. So I've got to figure it out. And sometimes I figure it out and sometimes I don't, but you know, it's just part of the game. No. And this, like I say, this is, this was a, a widespread issue. Good cars were having trouble. Like, obviously there was something wrong, but again, like, and it sucks, right? Like it, 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 abs- it, it impacted the race. Like it affected these guys chance to win in Ray Ray's case. Like who knows, we may look back and that round where he couldn't go down the racetrack may may cost him the world championship. Like that's awful, right? Like that's, that's out of his control. But again, like, I think it's, it's easy to place blame for what I think is ultimately like a a blameless thing. Like nobody's trying to do that. It, it's just one of those things that happens. So it stinks. Um, But it, at the same time, it's easy for me to say, because I wasn't in the seat, but it, it is what it is. Right. Yep. Unfortunately, that's about the only way you can sum that up, Luke. All right. So, I want to close out the show. I want to, I want to bring up a, a, a I'm going to put in quotes, new segment. I'm doing air quotes. You see that in, in our audio feed here. <laughs> I want to say we've done this before, Jed. Yes. We've done this for like five years. Um, so admittedly, some of this stuff runs together. This is episode 244. But at some point in time, either I've dreamt this up or we did like a bad beats segment. But I think this could be a lot of fun. So what I want to try to do, and we're going to try to hold us to this, is uh, there was some some there were a handful of runs that stood out to me over the weekend as like, oh, that's a bad beat. Like, what is it that you always say? Hide the sharp objects. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the penalty, like the ultimate bad beat of the week. And I think if we do this right, Jed, this is a segment that could write itself because I want like I'm not going to catch every bad beat that goes on across the country. I mm-hmm. want your input. So when you take a bad beat or you see a bad beat, um, let us know. I'll say uh, we could probably set something up a little bit more official. But in the meantime, like if, if, if you've got a bad beat to share, 
Luke at thisisbracketracing.com and just title the email bad beat. That way I'll probably catch it because like I get way too much email, but I'll, I'll get that. So I don't know if you've got anything lined up, Big Jed. My bad beat of the weekend goes to Ricky Decker. And I'll take this a little bit personally because this was in the All-Stars and Ricky Decker was my All-Stars pick. And I picked an All-Star, right? I picked a guy that should win. First round of the All-Stars, Ricky Decker turns it one thou red. And that's rough because Ricky had a, a tough couple of weeks. He's in world championship contention. He went down first round at Bowling Green. He lost second round at Indy. To tap that off, first round of the All-Stars, Ricky Decker turns it loose, negative one. Oh, man, that is a heartbreaker, right? You hate to turn it negative one. Ricky Decker's opponent, first round of the Jags All-Stars, 141 on the tree. Mm. That's a bad beat. Yeah, that one's tough, Luke. Uh, those, you know, that's that's that inevitable one thou red, and what generally happens in the other lane makes you sick. Um, that one, that's puke bucket. Uh, there's no doubt. You got one bad beat of the weekend? Oh, it's easy. Uh, it, it's it's this is a this is a home run slam dunk bad beat of the weekend was Nick Hastings. Nick in the semifinals for the opportunity to to win and race for one hundred and ten thousand dollars foot brake racing, and he lays down eleven total in his lane, which typically either means his opponent was about sixteen seventeen total or worse because Nick just rolled him through nicely and did his job or. You know, his opponent was red, and Nick will still light it up dead on sometimes when they're red, just to just to make sure he knows exactly where dead on is. But it come up a thou short. He was three dead eight, uh, and when they left, you know, I'm I'm watching the screen when they left. I'm like, oh my god, this is incredible. Dave Harvey Jr.'s perfect, one above zero. Ten thou beats eleven thou, and. Sends Dave Harvey Jr. to the final round. Nick Hastings comes up a thou short to Dave Harvey Jr.'s best run of the weekend. Yeah, and that's he probably made 40 runs, Luke, Dave Harvey. (laughs) Nick Hastings lays him down 11, and his best run of the weekend beats him by a thou. That's a bad beat on multiple levels because, to your point, it's a huge stage. Uh, it's a great run. You lay down 11 total. That's supposed to win. In and any, no matter where you're leaving on the tree. Yes. Good point. Good point. Much less in a footbreak race, yeah. much less with the stakes and the, uh, the pressure that those two guys are under in that particular round. And you lay down 11 total. And I don't know the nature of the split, but I'm going to be willing to bet that that 11 total costs tens of thousands of dollars. It did cost him quite a bit, yes. That's rough. That's rough. Yeah, bad beat. I had an honorable mention bad beat, and this one's unique in that it it wasn't one specific round. Um, But my – and that's the reason that I I go Ricky Decker. Ricky Decker gets my bad beat of the week, but I thought it was worth mentioning Trevor Larson. Trevor Larson, super street runner-up at U.S. Nationals. That's awesome, right? Like, great finish. Trevor was also entered in Super Comp, and he was also the Super Comp All-Stars, and he's got a, a strong history 
in the All-Stars. I think he's won it four times, maybe five, right? One of, one of a handful of competitors to have just repeatedly won the All-Stars. He's the only racer in All-Stars history to double in the All-Stars, um, one Super Comp and Super Gas several years back in Chicago. The two rounds that he lost in Super Comp, first was first round of the All-Stars. He pre-stages opposite reigning NHRA world champion Christopher Dodd. They have what appears to be a staging battle, um, mainly just because Christopher Dodd doesn't want to go in. Um, Trevor's not staging because Trevor's not running. A wire fell off a fuel pump relay. And the car quit in the pre-stage beam. So once Christopher rolled in, obviously Trevor gets timed out and Christopher wins. The worst part of that story is the way that it was told to me. Trevor's father, Richard, knew exactly what the problem was, but couldn't re- and could reach the wire from outside the car, but was not able to do, to, to do so because Trevor was pre-staged and you cannot touch the car at that point. If oh. Trevor was literally three inches back, they put the wire back on, he fires the car and has a chance. Oh, Luke. yes. Rough, right? And then back that up with what I just mentioned before. A day later, Trevor rolls in for fourth round of Super Comp in the main event, and he's one of those cars in the wrong lane at the wrong time and can't go down the racetrack. So he literally like, didn't really lose a round on his own accord at the biggest race of the year all weekend and has nothing to show for it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a rough go. Yeah, that is rough. I, I, I still I, I like your order because Ricky Decker you know, had the points implications and all that sure. going on. So. And to be clear, like I I said, Ricky had a a rough couple of weeks. Like it actually doesn't hurt his championship chances as badly as you might think. Um, The national event at Indy, like he's got great nationals, like losing early there didn't really have an effect at all. His fate's going to be determined on the divisional tour. And he's still got multiple races left. I think, uh, I think he's got four divisional events left. So there's still a ton of meat on the bone there. Like, Santangelo looks really strong in Superstock. Greg Stanfield will have a say in that championship. But just because Ricky Decker had a rough couple of weeks, um, he is absolutely still in that hunt. Turn those bad beats around, Ricky Decker. You go get them, son. Go, Ricky, go. You're my horse, dog. You're my horse. (laughs) He's from Kentucky. I can root for him. Not from Ohio. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You had to do it, didn't you? You just had to. Let's just shut this down. I think it's time. It's time to come to a close here, Luke. You, you're out of control right now. So, but as I hate it, I'm going to have to shut you down. That's just going to wrap us up here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Uh, certainly want to hear from you folks. Uh, tell us your bad beats. You know, don't put them out there publicly. Uh, send it to us in message form or through Luke, Luke's email, as he said, uh, and let us know what we can talk about. Uh, on the, the next bad beat segment uh, but otherwise reach out to us there at the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page tell us what you think about the show what you love what you don't love what you want to see more of less of whatever just let us know that you're listening because we need it so bad and uh, certainly if you don't want to put it out there publicly for everyone you can send it through messenger form and producer mark will hear you and uh, certainly get that in front of us and, and help us build a show around an idea or a segment around an idea. So reach out to us. Love to hear from you. Luke, speaking of hearing from people, let's talk about shouts. 
I'm going to start shouts with a, a, a bit on a bit of a more serious note than normal, and then we'll get to the fun stuff. Shouts to Sherman Adcock and the Adcock family. We mentioned that earlier. Scary situation. Glad to hear uh, that I think all is as well as could be expected. So, Sherm, uh, if you're listening or if, uh, if you hear this secondhand, uh, we're thinking about you, bud. Um, Shouts as well to to Don O'Neill. Uh, didn't get a chance to touch on this last week, but O'Neill, friend of the podcast, did an amazing uh, podcast episode with you earlier this year, Big Jed, uh, shortly after the passing of his wife, uh, Di. It all kind of, uh, you hate to put too much importance on, on racing. So I, I feel like it's uh, it's not necessarily fair to say that it all came full circle, but it felt like it came full circle at Bowling Green. Don gets the top sportsman win at Bowling Green, which I think he would tell you is his home track. Everybody's there with him, cheering him on. Uh, the final was epic. Like I, I, I think that Don might even tell you in retrospect, like watching the video, like maybe should have gave up at one point. Like it did not make a clean run. And uh, I think it was pretty obvious that someone was riding with him. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it just awesome story for one of the the best guys in the sport like couldn't have been happier for don so wanted to mention that don's top sportsman win at bowling green obviously great for him uh but uh, like meaningful for so many of us in in uh on so many different levels so really cool stuff yeah very good um also wanted to mention uh, it seems like we we have this tendency uh recently to start the show on on a really somber note and we certainly could have done that again i included it here just thoughts and prayers to greg tetrell and his family uh many of you are familiar with that name from years past uh greg when i was growing up was a fixture in the the bnm series the the southern super tens uh great racer out of the houston area um Ultimate he Greg also owned the car that Stephen Hughes drove to million dollar race victory. Uh, Stephen Hughes, AKA Haywood. Don't you blow me. Um, <laughs> that was a, that was a, Luke. that was a Greg Tetrell owned race car. Uh, Greg, I actually just what? saw earlier this week that that probably didn't have a place in this conversation. So I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> earlier this week, Greg passed away uh, due to what, what I had read was a, a short battle with cancer, had no idea uh, that Greg was facing that. Uh, so just thoughts and prayers to, to Jan and uh, Kate and Allison, the entire Tetral family and all of his friends. I know that that's a guy that touched a lot of people in this sport and, uh, and it's a huge loss for racing and, and specifically the, the big dollar bracket racing community. So yes, no doubt. With that in mind, Jed, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the, uh, the, the flavor of this up just a little bit. Yeah. You got to team me up. We got it. Yeah. Team, let's, let's do this over. Yeah. Like, uh, it's time now for one of my favorite parts of any show. And that is shout time. Let's hear your shouts, Luke. All right. Shouts to Deadly, Devin Dudley. Shouts to one George Montgomery and his yeah. reign at Indy in the 1960s. Shouts to Gary Stinnett and Warren Johnson. Shouts to Pissed Offedness and Lucas Walker's mid-wheel stand hissy fits. Love it. <laughs> yes. I'm here for it all day long. Shouts to Division Six Bikes and Sleds and Sea-Doos. Yes. Shouts to Salem, Oregon, and to Woodburn Motorsports Park Raceway Drag Strip Incorporated. And shouts, as always, to my good friends in the state of Ohio. Love the Buckeyes. 
Oh, baby. Oh, I O. great segment there. Great shouts, Luke. Thank you for that. Uh, really, uh, enjoyed this show. This was, this was good stuff. We got to talk about a lot of great racing, a lot of great racers, and there's plenty more to come with these points battles within NHRA and everything we got going on the big money bracket scene. Folks, if you like this one, this is going to be the tone for the next several shows. So hang in there with us. You're going to love the future shows and we're going to love bringing them to you. If you participate in the Twitter and you like to tweet, Luke and I love getting tweets. So please tweet us. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Tell us what uh, what you loved about the show or just a funny moment or great moment or whatever. Just tag us, bag us, and whatever else you do, let us know that you're, uh, you're listening. Reach out to us there on the Twitter. We would love to hear from you. And again, we thank you so much for listening. It's been a long show, but it's been action-packed, full of good stuff. And we can't wait. And I know I'm speaking for Luke when I say we can't wait to bring you more Sportsman Drag Race in action next week. So tune in. See you until then, folks. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Dot com. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all week, trying to turn this blood. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, 
This is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.